Please go ahead and have a seat. <laughs> Try this again. Would you mind uh, opening up with me in a, in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all the hearts assembled here be pleasing to you, O Lord, a rock and a redeemer. Amen. With uh, parents and in-laws that live a minimum of an hour away and up to nine to ten hours, my kids have become excellent travelers. They, they pass the time by reading books and Rubik's Cubes, and sometimes we pass the hours by reading or telling riddles. As we travel through God's word today, see, I'm dad, uh, I'd like to open up with a riddle for you. See if you can get this. You can have me, but cannot hold me. Gain me, but quickly lose me. If treated with care, I can be great. And if betrayed, I will break. Anyone know what that is? That is trust. trust. That is trust. That's right, because you develop the sermon series. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> trust. You can have me, but cannot hold me. Gain me and quickly lose me. If treated with care, I can be great. And if betrayed, I will break. For most of us, trust has to be earned. We don't easily give trust out to others unless we're in a dire circumstance, and even then, it can be difficult. There's an old story, <clears throat> excuse me, of a man that falls off of a cliff. He's, he's going to die, but miraculously, he throws up his, his hand, and he, he reaches, and he gets a branch. Is anyone up there? Yes. Who, who are you? I'm God, and I'm going to save you. Oh, well, that's, that's wonderful. What, what first must I do? First, let go of the branch. Is there anybody else up there? <laughs> and all kidding aside, the fear of betrayal often stops us from trusting, doesn't it? Betrayal is defined as the violation of or failure of trust and confidence. In all likelihood, you have been betrayed, you have been the victim of betrayal, and maybe even the pain of that betrayal is still on your heart today. But also, you have betrayed. You have betrayed the love and the trust of someone who loves you. After all, when we open up scriptures, we find story after story after story after story of betrayal. Delilah betrayed Samson by revealing to his enemies where his strength came from. Absalom betrayed his father, King David, by starting an insurrection to become king. Jehu betrayed Joram by shooting him in the back with an arrow. The officials of King Joash betrayed him by killing him in his bed. And yet all of this brokenness entered the world through the first betrayal in the Garden of Eden. In that garden, there was a violation of trust. God wants to feed his people, and keeping that, that one tree from them, God protected Adam and Eve, and yet they broke, they broke this trusting relationship because they suspected that God was withholding something good from them, something that would make them like God. So they did the one thing they were asked not to do, fractured mankind's relationship with his creator. And despite the magnitude of this betrayal of trust, there's likely one that comes to mind even more readily, and that's found in the gospel that was read just a few moments ago. 
Judas betrays Jesus. How could he do that, we think to ourselves? This is Jesus. This is Jesus. But as we look at this text, we'll see that this moment in history reveals much about several individuals. If you have your Bible or Bible app, you can go ahead and open those to Matthew 26, verse 14. We'll be right, uh, walking through this text, Matthew 26, verse 14. It opens with these words, Then, then one of the twelve, one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? Now, if you were to take any type of college Bible class, one of the first things that you learn are that the first words are important because the upcoming events could be predicated upon what just happened, especially when the texts start with the word then. So what just happened? Well, Jesus was anointed at Bethany. A woman who many believe to be Mary, the, mother, or the, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, came to Jesus with an alabaster flask. It would have had a, a long, thin neck and, and, and a round bottom. And, and the neck would have had to be broken for the contents to be poured out on anything. What does Mary pour out? An incredibly expensive perfume on Jesus' head. The disciples chastised the act, saying that the expensive gift should have been used to help the poor. But Jesus responds by affirming Mary's act, by saying, the poor, you will always have the poor, but I will only be with you for a limited time. Now, maybe those within an earshot, they, they were able to kind of justify the act. After all, kings are anointed with oil, right? Priests are anointed. Certainly, Jesus is those to us, but Jesus doesn't share the same line of thinking as he says in 26, verse 12. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. What the disciples do not know is that by the end of the week, their rabbi will be hanging on the cross. Now, how does this look to Judas Iscariot? The man who was in charge of the money bag for the disciples likely felt that, that he would redeem Israel in a more in a more tangible way. Why this waste of wealth? Why is he speaking of death? For Judas, this could have been the last straw, and so he betrays his perfect teacher, friend, and savior. But why? Could it have been that he wanted no part of this kind of Messiah Jesus was that Jesus was revealing himself to be? In thinking this way, Judas is serving whose needs? His own. If the Messiah was going to be more political, certainly they would need all the money that they could get, and this would be a slap in the face. Maybe Judas started to see the conflict between the religious leaders and, and Jesus and his disciples, and it seemed like the other side was winning. Now, now he wants to be on the good side, and he's given up enough, hasn't he? He thinks to himself, maybe. He just doesn't want to give up anymore. Whatever the specific reason, we know two things. Judas didn't value the relationship he had with Jesus, and he became a slave to his own greed, his own wants, and his own desires. Verse 15 again. What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? 
So they counted out 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. 30 pieces of silver. How much is the friendship worth to Judas? 30 pieces of silver. Make no doubt about it. This is not a forever life-changing amount of money. What can you buy for 30 pieces of silver? Well, the book of Exodus shares that if one man's animal accidentally kills another man's slave, he should repay him 30 pieces of silver. The religious leaders likely knew the significance of this amount of money that they were giving Judas. As we read in our, our first reading, like Crystal read for us, Zechariah, 500 years earlier, prophesied that this would be the amount that the Savior would be handed over for. And so Judas makes himself a slave to his own desires and betrays the trust of his friend Jesus. Sound familiar? Charles Spurgeon once famously said, Yet many have sold Jesus for a less price than Judas received. A smile or a sneer has been sufficient to induce them to betray their Lord. We are no less guilty in betraying our relationship with our Savior. No, we don't physically hand him over to the authorities, but we have all turned our back on him and have betrayed him. We become slaves to our own greed, to our own way of life. Maybe like Judas, there are times when Jesus just isn't performing the way that you thought he should. He didn't give you the answer, the diagnosis, the life of a loved one, the pay raise, the family you thought that, well, you deserved. So we doubt his omnipotence. We doubt his all-powerfulness. Maybe like Judas, like Judas, you see those who actively war against Jesus in your work or in your school. They don't seem to be missing out on any type of life. We see their success, and to us it looks like winning. And so we begin to sacrifice time with Jesus for anything that looks like success, like what we deserve. The way God calls us to live, the way we treat others, we betray these commands and often treat them as suggestions. The way we misuse our time and our resources for personal satisfaction, boy, we are good at being slaves to ourselves. And what's worse is that we often live under the illusion that we just don't need as much grace as our neighbor, even, even as Judas. And we act as though our betrayal is less damning. But that's not our reality. I, Chad Sherman, Director of Family Ministry here at Luther Memorial. I've betrayed Christ and what he has called me and how he has called me to live. I'm also guilty at times of betraying you, my brothers and sisters, in words and in actions. And you could make the same confession. I'm broken, you're broken, and yet this body of believers called the church is the only community on earth that acknowledges the fact that we are all in the process of becoming more like Jesus because we are saved by his grace, by his faithfulness. Not only has Jesus been faithful to us, but he was fully faithful to God's law, even all of the Old Testament practices. We see this as Jesus celebrates the, the Passover with his disciples later that week. 
appropriately enough, it is this feast that celebrated the Israelites' freedom from slavery 1,400 years prior to the night that they're celebrating this evening. In God's redemptive plan, it was necessary for Jesus to keep the Passover with his disciples. And it was in this meal that Jesus would be transforming the Passover, the old covenant marked by the shedding of a lamb's blood into the Lord's Supper, the new covenant that would be marked by the shedding of the blood of Jesus. As Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the the remembrance, uh, the Passover, we pick it up in verse 21. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, to one another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand into the dish with me will betray me. Jesus has has mentioned his death several times to the disciples, but this is the first time that he mentions to them it will be by the hand of one of them. After all, they had all placed their hand in the bowl with Jesus. The word Jesus uses here for betray literally means to hand a prisoner over for punishment. The disciples were aghast, but to their credit, they didn't say, well, it's got to be Judas. They all say, is it I, Lord? And the reason for this is because in the Gospel of Luke, Luke shares with us something that happens just before this, which is the the disciples are are all uh, kind of arguing again about who is the greatest, and Jesus at that moment calls them on the carpet. And he shows them what what greatness looks like. And he stoops down and he washes all of the disciples' feet. Having having been made aware by their own sin, they are genuinely concerned that it might be them. Friends, the, the image of the cross behind me there should make us keenly aware that we are broken. That we are sinners. That we need redemption. The image of the cross is like Jesus calling us on the carpet as he did the disciples. The cross is what justice looks like for God's law. Who would want that kind of death, the pain, the torment, the agony? Back in the Garden of Eden, when that first betrayal took place, God made a promise that there would be one born in this world who would take all the the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of greed, the brokenness of hatred, of pride, of lust, of anger, and even the brokenness of betrayal. Hear me out. If this is the only act of God to prove that he is trustworthy, that he fulfilled his promise in Jesus, it would be enough. But he does so much more. As we shared with with the children, the Bible shares with us time and time again how despite the continued rejection of his people, God remains faithful to them. Until finally on that cross and in his resurrection, that brokenness was restored. He demonstrates for the world that he is trustworthy, that he is good. He is trustworthy when things are great. He is trustworthy when they are terrible. He is worthy of our trust amidst economic uncertainty through long days and late nights in the hospital. He is trustworthy through big tests, through exams, and he is trustworthy when our own friends betray us. In verse 24, Jesus shares with his disciples more about the betrayal. 
The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. In saying these words, Jesus is, is really putting into perspective this terrible act. No, Jesus didn't fall into Judas's trap. Rather, Judas's rejection of Jesus was used for God's divine plan. Back in our text in verse 25, not wanting to uh, not go along with the multitudes of, is it I, Rabbi? Judas says the same thing, otherwise admitting guilt. And to Judas, Jesus says, you have said so. Notice what he does here. He's bringing to light the actions of a sinner. So, So maybe, quite possibly, to call him again to repentance. But alas, Judas leaves and the march towards the cross continues. You've likely heard us talk about the, the mini-series, the, the Chosen, where there's, uh, it focuses on Jesus' really, relationship with the 12 disciples, the, the, the Chosen. And this is, a, this is just a, a, a great series, but I believe it's, I could be wrong, but I believe it's season three, episode one, where Judas begins to follow Jesus. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself the whole time, Jesus, you know he's evil, right? You know he's going to betray you, right? And yet, like the Bible shares, Judas was called to follow Jesus. For three years, Judas was able to have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus still calls Judas to follow him. In Luke 9, 1, it says this, One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them the power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. This included Judas. He got to be part of the mission In his foreknowledge that Judas was going to betray him, Jesus still calls to himself. He still calls Judas to himself. He still has work for Judas to do for kingdom purposes. Friends, does it sound familiar? Despite our past failures, he calls us as sinners forgiven to go and make disciples of all nations telling them about the kingdom of God, despite any past failures or betrayals, God can still use us to forgive and to use him for his glory. Friends, if if there's anything that that we learn about this text here, it's this. When Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he really meant it. He loves you. He loves your annoying neighbor. He loves your stubborn coworker. He loves me. And we couldn't have even excluded Judas. In his love and in his grace, Judah, Jesus becomes a model for us of trust. Not only to show us that he is trustworthy, but to show us by God's grace that, that his love is for all people. Despite, again, our past failures, he still calls us and sends us out to be that trustworthy friend. 
the trustworthy coworker, the trustworthy neighbor, to the people who even don't act, look, and think like we do. So that they may know that they can trust him and, their, and his love for them. Despite all the brokenness in the world, he is trustworthy. And the cross, well, the cross is the reminder of that. For the cross is, like I said earlier, not only where we see justice, but we also see love. The cross is where love and justice meet. And so thanks be to God for his continued faithfulness and trustworthiness for us. Amen.